Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu b'mitzvotah v'tivonu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'harev Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi amka b't Yisrael, ve'nie anaknu v'etze etzeinu v'etze etzei amka b't Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai kilishuateka kiviti Hashem. Hagadosh Baruch Hu, may you send Mashiach now. So I'd like to welcome everyone to some continued insights on Parsha Tazria Metzora. And I want to begin with something from the Midrash Rabbah 16.2. So we're learning about the Metzora who is the one who is considered to be leprous. And again, uh, leprosy is not a uh, accurate, it's not an accurate uh, rendering of za'arat or one who has, uh, one who has za'arat who's called a metzora. So in Midrash Rabbah 16.2, it says this. This is from the Insights. Life is giving. Rabbi Shlomo Freyfeld suggested a novel explanation of why one who guards his tongue from evil is considered or is characterized as one who desires life. One who speaks ill of others usually does so to make himself look good by comparison. If the other person is not so good, then ipso facto, I am the better person. But that attitude is the antithesis of living life. Uh, yes, the antithesis of living life. Slika. But that attitude is the antithesis of living. Life is the ability to give of oneself to others. So back all the way up since I butchered the reading on that. <laughs> That if you speak ill of others, then what you're doing is depriving others of life, which is the antithesis of living. It's basically like being a vampire, but instead of biting people, you're metaphorically biting people by using biting words. And you're sucking the life out of them because you're defaming them and you're using... Uh, other people as your your doormat you're also using other people as your soapbox so you're like i'm better than you you're worse than me and because you're doing that you are doing the antithesis of living when why we live is for giving pun intended because we're supposed to be forgiving people but the very life that we live is for giving to others. So it says the Torah calls a spring of water that has its own water, Mayim Kaim. Now, yes, this is very significant since, again, we're still on the fact that Mikvah Shaloah is fed by Mayim Kaim. We literally have our own spring uh, at Tzar Shalom and in Saginaw for our own Mikvah. So the very headquarters of the P Judaism is built on Mayim Kaim. So 
if you think about what Hashem is really saying, that the foundation of who we are and our very existence in life is Mayim Kaim. That everything about Lapid, everything about Sar Shalom, everything about the Avengers is all about giving and it's all about considering others better than ourselves. Because we're supposed to be springs of water that flow and give life. And it says that it is alive because it does not draw from others, but is rather a source that gives to others. Our sages speak of four who are considered as if they were dead. The poor man, the medzora, the blind, and one who has no children. Sourced out from Netarim 64b, Bereshit Rabbah 71.9, Eka Rabbah 3.2. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz from the Marmar 63, Tazriyad Medzora 57.32 explains that the common dena- denominator in their inability to give of themselves. The common, their common denominator is their inability to give of themselves. The poor man is not in a position to give. The Medzora is sent outside the camp where he is separate from others and thus cannot be aware of the needs of others and give to them. Similarly, a blind man cannot see what others need. He lives in a dark world of his own. No one in the world is in the position to receive more than a child from his parent. The one who has no children is denied the opportunity to be the giver. A tree that is no longer able to grow branches to give shade leaves uh, get to give shade leaves to provide oxygen, beauty and pleasant aromas or fruit for nourishment is a dead tree. A human being who can only take but not give is on life support. He is not alive. Living is giving. One who speaks ill of others and thus finds his place in life and society only through his purported superiority to those whom he has lowered through his evil talk is the furthest from being a giver. He is one of the walking dead. I find it very interesting that one of today's TV shows is called The Walking Dead and it has season after season after season. And, you know, it's a very popular show. And this is the essence of one who takes and takes and takes and never gives anything. So it says to want life is to give to give recognition and succor to others, not to degrade or defame, to scrupulously avoid Lashon Hara is to imbibe the elixir of life. This is from Vayikra Rabbah 16.2 speaking about the Metzora. One of the coolest things about this is in um, where is this verse coming from? 
This shall be the law of the Metzora. Let me back up a little bit. It's one of our Pasukim for this Parsha. Go back to the beginning of the section and see if they got the verse. Just to source it out. Uh, yes. Zot tie torat hamzora. This shall be the law of the Metzora. This is from Vayikra 14 verses 1 through 2. So in the 16.2 the from the Midrash Abai basically says, Therefore Moshe cautioned Yisrael telling them this shall be the law of the Metzora. So there's a whole Torah about the, the person who would be considered the walking dead. And it says, which is expounded to mean this shall be the law of the defamer, which is Motsi Shem Ra. And again, that's the whole breakdown of the one who has Za'arat. And it's interesting that Mashiach healed 10 Metzoras. And only one of them returned back to actually show gratitude. Which again, if you think about the condition of the Medora that that they're all about, you know, what can I get? What can you give me? You know, like got the hand out and this is like, give, give, give me. I won't give you anything back, you know. And so who's to say that, you know, their lives weren't transformed, their lives weren't transformed. But one of them was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to overflow in gratitude and thanks. And he fell before Mashiach and said, Wow, Todah Rabbah, like, this is amazing. Because you realize no one was actually ever cured of Zarat because there was a whole quarantine period that had to happen, and this was all based off of the eyes of the Kohen. And the Kohen was to be the person who would bring the reproof, who would bring the healing, and it was based off of his pronouncement. But there wasn't ever really a clearing up of the skin, per se, from the words of the Kohen. The clearing up came from their time of isolation, their time of uh, just being outside the camp, if you will, not being able to go to the temple and things like that. But with Mashiach, he speaks a word. And as the people are headed towards the temple, they're healed. So they've been in quarantine for who knows how long, but at the word of his lips, at the words of the lips of the Torah itself, that the the cleansing and the purification happened in an instant. Literally the epitome of Mayim Kaim. Everything about Mashiach is giving, and we can see how giving would end up being the ultimate source of purification. Because, again, the ultimate source of purity represented by the mikvah would be the fact that it's living water. And any mikvah that is consists of living water as its source, no matter how much you try, you cannot defile it. But if you did not have living water as a source of your mikvah, you could technically defile it. Which was one of the things that we were up against at Sar Shalom because we were doing the whole rainwater and the catch basin and bringing that in through the filtration system and having that kind of flow in with the pumps and all that kind of stuff with the Bor Al Gabor uh, mikvah that we have. 
and it was like, okay, so we need to know what to do in case it gets defiled. And come to find out, Hashem's like, nope, don't have to worry about that anymore because the living water is going to take care of that. So there's no way it can be defiled. And thinking about how Mashiach was never defiled, you know, like anybody else who these Metzorim would have came in contact with, not only would they not have been able to heal them and send them to the Kohen to show themselves being healed, because you realize once they would have shown up that the Kohen wouldn't have had to do his little inspection. It would have been like, hey, we're here, we're healed. We just want to show you that we're healed. It's like, we're going to tell you we're done. Because prior to this, the Kohen had to tell the person that they were done. So another testament to the power of Mashiach is that now we, through him healing us, get to profess and proclaim the healing that he has actually brought before the Kohen can tell us so, you know. And so it's just kind of one of those things where stepping back is just kind of amazing. But anyway, back to the whole defiling thing that. You know, the woman who had the issue of blood, which is also part of Parsha Medzora, the woman who has an issue called Azava. This is uh, uh, any kind of bleeding outside of your normal menstruation period that would happen. And so this woman had an issue for 12 years that it was just constant. And if you think about it, that's a, that's a lot of blood being lost, you know, and uh, that means any garments that she touches, any uh, areas that she would sit at. You know, any kind of uh, con uh, connection or contact that she would have uh, that would cause ritual impurity, not necessarily dirty, sinful impurity, but just ritual impurity. And come to find out, she grabs the zitzit of Mashiach, which technically would have made his garments impure. But such is the Torah that even if you are in a state of impurity, the contact that you make with it actually imparts purity to you. And so looking at that with the fact of the Medzora, who's considered like a dead person. So Mashiach is like giving life and giving resurrection to people. And again, if you think about what we're called to do, we're called to be the same thing. You know, and if we're overflowing with Mayim Kaim, which we would be, by the way, uh, because of our 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 trust and our connection to Mashiach, you know, that out of our bellies, rivers of living water flow. And so we should be just over the top with uh, providing and imparting purity to people, even though we ourselves are impure. But again, we have to come back to the source, which is all through Teshuvah and everything like that. But I want to point out the reason I take the whole time with this is that the Motsi Shem Ra means this this well of impure water. But think about a Motsi Shem Tov. Instead of being a well of impure water as a Motsi Shem Ra, as a Motsi Shem Tov, you're a well of pure water. You're a spring. You're undefilable. And that's the power of Lashon Tova or Lashon Kodesh, good speech, holy speech, wholesome talk, if you will. You now, not only do you build people up and resurrect others, but you impart purity to others. And as you're doing that, you yourself 
partake of it because, you know, we talk about, you know, if other people have prayer requests, if you are praying for them, if you have those same requests for yourself because you're praying for someone else, you will get the benefit first as well as the benefit go to them, which means that your impurity is actually going to, you know, if you're speaking out the the goodness, you know, you're going to impart purity to people and you're going to cause your purity to become purity. And I want to bring that up because in Tractate Yoma 86b, it says this. It was taught in a Bereta that Rabbi Meir would say, Great is Teshuva because the entire world is forgiven on the account of one individual who repents. As it is said, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. Hosea, Hosea 14.5. It does not say from them, i.e. from the sinners, but from him, i.e. from that individual, because he has made Shuva, everyone will be healed. And this just goes back to what I was mentioning before. Again, that's Yoma 86b in previous podcasts about bringing the redemption that when we bring redemption within ourselves, that we bring redemption for the entire world. When we're making our own repentance and returning to Hashem, we're actually healing the world. When we are Motsi Shem Tov, when we're masters and speakers of good names, of good speech, of holy speech, pure speech, we're literally making a, a mikvah for the world. So I just think that's absolutely incredible to think about the power that we have in our tongue. Because again, going back to the previous podcast from this week, that when uh, we use our tongue, we can do great mitzvot just with our tongue. And so much so that the tongue is considered to be even more powerful than what our hands could do, which you think, oh, let me give zedakah to someone or let me go and make a nice meal to someone or let me go hold the door open. But the things that we speak, whether under our breath or whether out loud or in prayer, even though the other people can't hear us, such as the power of our speech, that it reaches into those areas that, you know, you're thinking, my words can't go that far. It's, it's just kind of like, OK, well, the sages compare our words to arrows. And these arrows, they go very, very, very far. And Mashiach Yeshua himself tells us that even thoughtless words that we've spoken throughout our lives, we're going to be judged on account of those. And so how much more so should we make even our random words about the redemption? Because those things affect things in the heavenly realms. And I was reading in what's in a pasuk, one of the books that Ish Pela hooked me up with, uh, that does the whole gematria comparison with different passages in the Torah and the Psalms and things like that. And it was talking about in Parsha Tazria, why we name the child on the eighth day, you know, especially for a boy. I mean, you can name the, the girl, you know, whenever you would like, if you want to not wait to the eighth day, but there's a special ceremony to do for, 
naming the baby, uh, even if it's a girl and she doesn't have to wait till circumcision because the boy waits until he's circumcised to receive his name. But it was saying because when you utter someone's name as they're given that name, that that ripple affects into the heavenly realms and brings awareness of that soul and it brings life to that soul throughout the universe. So it's just kind of ridiculous, you know, when you really think about the things we cannot see and the greatness of the impact that they have. And the whole reason that a person would become a Metzora is because of the way that they've spoken and such a emphatic, such an emphatic consequence would come from the speech of, you know, a person who's haughty. The biggest thing about the Metzora is that they're a haughty person. And I can't tell you how many times in the past and, you know, even in myself is trying to deal with, you know, uh, refining and self-examination that the haughtiness is very, very vile. You know, it's one of those things where you can kind of be like, oh, I sinned today. I messed up, you know, but remember, I was talking about the Holy of Holies is our mouth. And that, you know, the very dominion over our evil inclination, over all the evils that are within us and around us, they're all controlled through the mouth. And so the haughtiness, if we can deal with that by redirecting our speech and uh, repairing the use of our tongue, literally tikkun lashon, repairing our language, I mean, we're we're talking about privatizing world peace (laughs) or publicizing world peace because you know speaking out you're putting it out in the universe so the power of of what we say and the the power and what we use our tongue to do and i've been watching a few uh videos which i normally don't do but having all this extra time in quarantine i have been on a just on a go for what what can I do, Hashem, with this time that I have to to bring the redemption? What can I do to do that? You know, and so I'm I don't really don't listen to other teachings or other drashes and things like that. But there was a specific drashes that caught my attention, and I you know I clicked on them. I'm not an internet learner. Uh, typically, I love the books and I love the sources. But there's a few individuals out there uh, that are speaking about getting out of exile. You know, Rabbi Friedman Shlita is one of them. And um, there was another lady that I got to listen to. And I posted all these on my Facebook. But to synthesize these, these few sources, the way that we got into exile was through what we did with our mouth. So... The way that we're going to get out of this exile is through what we're going to do with our mouth. And the final exile from Edom, which is Rome, our current exile, Christianity. That's our current exile that we have to get out of. And leaving that exile is going to be um, prototyped in the way we got out of Egypt, because the final exile will be like the first exile. And so if we can understand the first exodus, we can understand the final exodus. 
So the first Exodus was Paro, which is literally pay Ra, evil mouth. So the first exile was all about the evil speech, closing our mouth, keeping us shut up in silence and uh, bitterness and slavery, uh, toil and things like that. And changing our mindset to be slaves, changing our mindsets to be people who just want what we want, immediate gratification, and the list just goes on. But then came Pesach, which Pesach is about the mouth that speaks, and literally the mouth that speaks freedom. That was the tipping point for us where we began to leave, and we all did this in unification because the whole thing about the month of Nisan which we're in the final week of right now. So Rosh Hodesh is coming up this Shabbat, actually. We're having a back-to-back Rosh Hodesh prep day and Shabbat. So that's a double get you some on that. So may we all take that all in and, and really elevate. But the month of Nisan is all about the constellation of the Tale, which is the lamb or the goat. And um, this speaks of what unifies the people and the merit of the Akedah that is in the constellation and bringing down the mazel of freedom. And specifically through us using our mouth in a unified way to leave bondage, exile, uh, constraint, confinement, which is Mitzrayim. So that whole thing takes place and we are called to sacrifice either a lamb or a goat to show that even though Tale is the constellation, that that's not what we put our hope in. Because as Israel, we don't go by horoscopes, zodiacs, mazalot. We see these things and they give us signs of the times to let us know, hey, here's a little guide for what you should be paying attention and be aware of. However... Because of your shuva, because of your connection to Torah observance, you actually go beyond that. Because remember, Parsha Shemini, everything about the eighth dimension, everything about the Torah, we get to go above the natural. So we took that lamb and that goat, which is typified in the constellation, typified in the month of Nisan. That's what we sacrificed and said, you know what? Hashem, our hope is in you because what is what do you say? And what do you desire of us? That's what we want to walk in and we speak it out and we do it. So hence we confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart and actually walked it out in our living. So the whole salvation process is involving everything of who we are, not just a speech thing. It's one thing to speak it, but it's another thing to speak it and do it and believe it and exist in it, walk in it, all that kind of stuff. So taking us to where we are today, it's going to have to take the same unction that together unified, together lifting one another up, together having refined speech, together having a refined mentality, open mind of redemption and not just open mind, like be open to everything and get into all the spiritual abstract stuff, but the, the mind of saying, hey, uh, it's not about me, you know, doing things the way we used to do. Cause again, COVID-19 has interrupted the whole system and there's a lot of drops on Isaiah 61 that, you know, I was thinking, should I share them or not? And I did not bring them in the booth with me. So 
I won't be able to share them, but the whole thing about it is letting us know that as we get into the Messianic Redemption and even before that all the material concerns and provisions and livelihood and sustenance, Parnassa, if you will, that's all going to be provided by those who are not Jews. Which is a crazy thing for people who don't want to be Jewish because you're saying, well, I'd rather work and support and be worried about all the finances, worried about all the woes and worried about all the things that physically need to get done. Whereas being Jewish, the focus is on spiritual pursuits, bringing the Alam Haba, bringing the heavens down to the earth, focused on prayer, Torah study, mitzvot, uh, acts of kindness, hospitality, zadaka. Like that's our focus. And because that's our focus, then when it comes to making a living, you know, and being able to have money to pay for everything and all that kind of stuff, the the redemption and forward is all about the nations are going to be the ones who do that. They're going to watch your flocks like they're going to go make your paychecks and do all this stuff. And they're going to bring this to you on their own will, because the whole fact of us drawing down godliness and redemption into the world, there's this whole system that has been uh, booted up, for lack of better terms, that it's kind of like that's the natural outflow of it, is that you're going to have people who are under the natural now come underneath that, and they're going to be subservient to it, and then they're just going to bring stuff. And again, this is in Isaiah 61 and the commentaries. So flipping our minds to think, okay, so I need to go to work and, uh, you know, I need to figure out how to pay these bills and I need to figure out, you know, how I'm going to make sure I got food and I can pay rent and and get the utilities and all that kind of stuff paid for. It's just kind of like that's actually reverse, (laughs) Like, first, we need to be focused on pursuing Hashem, and then all those things will be added to us. Oh, you mean, like, seek first the kingdom of heaven? All these things will be added to you? Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. These things is what the the nations, the non-Jews, the pagans, this is what they focus on. You know, look at the, the birds of the sky. Look at the flowers in the field. How are they dressed? You're worth more than a sparrow all these kinds of things. So we're already been, we've already been informed on this. So that's all a part of bringing in the messianic messianic era, even before Mashiach returns. And especially when he does return, when we're brought back into the land. So it's just really crazy to, to think about that because we're literally called a kingdom of priests and what the Kohanim are, to the children of Israel is what we as a whole nation of Israel will be to the world. So, you know, we as Israel, we pay tithes and Teruma to the Kohanim and the Levites. So the world is basically going to be doing that to us so that we can be freed up to, to bring kingdom to the world, to make the world a better place. So the more we focus on that, the more we bring all these things down. So anyway, I would love to be able to just read those directly from the sources because it just feels weird saying this. But, you know, tis the season for us to, to start talking differently, you know, and, and not haughty and not saying, you know, oh, we're better than the nations and all this. But 
literally the nations will be able to to move about and not have to deal with war and, and famines and disease if we're doing what we're supposed to do. You know, think about think about the leader of your community, right? Like if he had to work in corporate America before COVID-19 and he's working 60 or 80 hours a week, how in the world is he supposed to give you a good drosh on Shabbat? How is he supposed to provide good lectures for us to tune into on a weekly basis? How is he supposed to lead the community and provide counsel and support for those who are in need? If people are sick, be able to go visit them. People who need prayer, go over to pray for them. He's so focused on what he's doing over there, or they are so focused on what they're doing over there, that they ain't got time for that. It's like you may or may not get a drosh this week. You may or may not have them pray for you because on top of their own personal households and family, they got to deal with their jobs. They got to deal with their business. And so we can already see how that ain't going to (laughs) work. But the point is, is that as we look at giving life, as we look at being givers, that's that's living, not not takers, you know, and if we're pursuing Hashem, we're not looking at handouts. That's the ultimate giving. The ultimate giving is life. You know, and so when it comes to these finances and when it comes to these these provisions that the nations are supposed to make for us, this isn't us taking from them or receiving their handouts. It's actually us bringing them life because the reason or because of why we're doing what we're doing, we're actually perpetuating life for them. And we're bringing down more and more Kedusha into creation itself. So we're revealing godliness in the world and making this world a dwelling place for Hashem. Because the nations are getting this canopy of shalom spread over them. And it's like, man, today's a good day. What can I do for somebody else? You know, you spark that that giving heart in them, you know. And so such is uh, what this Torah portion is teaching us about the Metzora and that we need to do the opposite of a Metzora. And furthermore, if you actually go back to the installation uh, ceremony of Aharon and his sons, remember this one time they, they got shaved and they had to be isolated from their households for a week and you know, they had to be mikvah, they had to change their clothes, they had to be waved before Shem. And again, coming up in Parsha Bamibar, we'll see this again, where the Levites will have to be waved to be installed uh, as Levites, you know, in place of the firstborn of Israel. That that whole procedure of how you get a new Kohen and how you get a, a new Levite, they basically go through the same procedure that you do for a Medzorah. Which means that all have to die to be brought into newness of life so that they can bring newness of life to those who consider dead. And anyone who is not Jewish and anyone who isn't born again, which is the same thing. So, yeah, they're considered to be dead. This is why Ephesians chapter two is is such a thing. Like if you read about disobedience and before we received salvation, 
which was being brought into covenant, becoming a Jew and all that. We were likened to dead people. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were underneath the power of the prince of the air, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're considered to be like a dead person, a poor person, a medzora. And the only way to come alive is to receive life from the one who can bring life. And literally, that's what the whole nation of Israel is supposed to be. And speaking words of life to people, lifting people up and giving, you know, not just of our words, but of ourselves and of our resources, you know, and, and leading people into holiness and righteousness and purity. So getting out of this final exile, we have to do the same thing we did to get out of Egypt. And between listening to these teachings, it was just this beautiful thing about, you know, the role switch. You know, the example was brought down that the child became the parent. Like little Miriam came to her parents and were like, first of all, y'all are divorced. You don't need to be. So get married. And then when you get married, I'm going to need y'all to start making babies. And think about that. Think about your child, you know, less than bar by mitzvah age coming to you saying, parents, get your act together, start procreating. Like, wouldn't that be weird? Well, guess what? Because Miriam did that, she brought redemption to the nation of Israel because Moshe was born. Has she not told her parents to get back married again and start procreating? Moshe would have never been born and we would have stuck, stayed stuck in Egypt. So same thing today, like what kind of changes need to be made and what kind of uncomfortable things that we need to do to put the world in a position of being redeemed. Well, it's time for the nation of priests to step up and do their job, to step up and start speaking things into existence, to step up and start being springs of life. It's time for there to be a group of people that are givers and not takers to step up and lead. Such is the power we have as Avengers. You know, I I find it very cool that this concept and this um, this vision and this thing that we can envision in our mind about the different Marvel characters and uh, DC characters and all the superheroes that exist in the comics, Shomer versions of them and how through how we speak and how we study, how we pray, how we serve and in life in general, like. We bring these manifestation of these powers into the creation, into the cosmos and affect change. You know, like Captain with his shield and with his hammer, you know, is going to town on the Aliyah day and like you can feel lightning. You're just like, whoa, that was crazy, you know. And so anyway, but that's our abilities and we have to start using them, you know, and being able to picture that in our mind and then speak it out and actually do it. And the other thing was that, you know, so we're changing roles and we're getting into the mindset now of like, you know what, you know, as far as being materially focused, being, you know, financially focused, if we put that before Hashem and think, okay, I need to spend all my time trying to figure this out and plan it, that's actually backwards. The way to figure out your finances and the way to figure out your livelihood is actually to focus on spiritual pursuits. Focus on Hashem first, and then from the top down, that'll happen. Then 
uh, the other thing that was brought down in these videos was about um, bringing forth Mashiach is that, first of all, Mashiach is such a deep and esoteric concept that all these different ideas exist when you go through the sources. And the best sources, obviously, are from the Talmud and things like the, the Messiah text. But one of the sources in the Talmud says that if the Mashiach is of the dead, then that's Daniel. If the Mashiach is of the living, then it's so-and-so. You know, and I don't remember the source off the top of my head, but I know there's uh, Sanhedrin tractates that are speaking about this. But it was interesting because if you step back and think about it, it's saying, well, is the Messiah dead or is he alive? And the answer is yes. And it's so interesting that when you think about Yeshua, well, he did die, but now he's alive. And, you know, even when he was dead, he was still alive. So there is something to think about. <laughs> but anyway. um, Yeah, so there's a full gamut of, quote unquote, who is the Mashiach and what is the Mashiach and all the different other questions you can ask about. But the only way you know Mashiach as far as the, the confessions that are being made about Mashiach by people who don't believe in Yeshua is that, well, well, we'll know Mashiach when he gets here. You know, we'll know the results of what the Mashiach is supposed to do when it happens. Until then, we have all these different pieces. We know he's supposed to build a temple. We know he's supposed to gather in the exiles. We know he's supposed to die for the sins of Israel. We know he's supposed to be like Hezekiah, supposed to be like Daniel. You know, he's supposed to come on a donkey. He's supposed to come on clouds of glory. We know he's supposed to do a whole gamut of things. And as you look at all these different things, obviously for those of us who believe in Yeshua, Baruch Hashem, we see how all the dots connect. But for those who don't, then they know that they're supposed to believe in Mashiach. And so getting the right candidate is like a, for lack of a better term, is work in progress because, again, expecting him and yearning for him is the same as believing in him. It's actually a halakhically kosher way to look at it, which is why people can believe in Nachman, people can believe in the Rebbe, or people can believe in Bar Kokhba or... Even Shabbatai V, which we know a lot, those are false messiahs. But anyway, that's not the point, though. The point is to be expecting Mashiach, whether he's a dead, whether he's considered dead or alive. And I'm just kind of like, is this really what I'm hearing right now? Because this is so crazy. But like those of us who know who Mashiach is, we've got to understand that. And those of us who don't know who Mashiach is, we also have to understand that because that saying that the belief that we have in Mashiach is actually kosher because with all the different dots that are out there that need to be lined up and connected, Mashiach has actually fulfilled some of those things. Just like these other Mashiachs have fulfilled some of these things. And, you know, as far as the final end gathering of the exiles and the building of the temple and bringing the final redemption. We know Mashiach ben David, which is Mashiach Yeshua. He's coming back and he's going to bring that. But even these other Mashiachs haven't done any of that thing, any of these things, and they're still considered to be Mashiachs. Many of them weren't even born in the land of Israel and they're still considered Mashiach. And so it's kind of like whether partial or complete or three quarters or whatever you want to consider 
the mission of Mashiach that has been fulfilled by these individuals, they're still considered to be okay to believe in. So it's like, so what makes Yeshua different from any of these people? Well, obviously you got the semantics and anti-Semitism, anti-missionarianism and all that kind of stuff that goes with the history of not calling him Yeshua and making him this character named JC. So I get that. But as far as the the kosher belief that we do have and line back up with the sources and the proper name and living out the proper mission, because for those of us who do believe in Yeshua, that we're Torah observant, we have converted, you know, and we are converting and we're continuing to uh, grow in Torah in Judaism. And and that's the picture that hasn't been shown which is the importance of why we need to be speaking that forth and living that out to get out of exile. And as a part of inaugurating the final redemption and hastening the return of Messiah. So the understanding of may he come soon in our days is connected to this because specifically Rabbi Friedman Shlita was saying that when you look at saying we want Mashiach now, like asking Hashem, bring Mashiach now, which is, by the way, what I will begin with the help of Hashem to say and encourage others to say, and may we all pray that, which is part of Baruch Abba Shem Adonai, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, that the reason why the the Rebbe brought this down is, is what needs to be now said. You know, there's uh, customs for when the women light the candles. They say, we want Mashiach now, right after they finish lighting candles, you know, and welcoming in the Shabbat. It's like, we want Mashiach now, it's Shabbat, you know, kind of thing. But the reason why he brought that down, and again, so Rabbi Friedman Shlita brings this out. He says, the, the longer we're in exile is the longer the Torah is in exile, the longer the Jews are in exile, the, long, the longer the Shekinah is in exile, the longer Hashem himself is in exile. So in a compound calculation we're looking at billions of minutes billions of hours billions of days and so on and so forth if not more worth of time that we're perpetuating exile in the universe because you or i even though we don't want to we can wait another day or wait another week or another month or another year or whatever but if you think about another Jew having to wait that, well, the time you're waiting and the time they're waiting is actually combined. So we're prolonging exile for everybody. And ultimately it runs up to a shim to where we're perpetuating suffering to a shim because we're kind of okay with exile, which was kind of a punch to the gut <laughs> and the throat because you're kind of like, wait, 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 what? I've never thought about it like that. That because we're okay with staying in exile and we're not speaking about Hashem bring us out of it and we're not encouraging other people to do so and we're also not acting like we want to be out of exile because how are we speaking? 
what what is our what is our focus and it's just kind of like wow so we're causing Hashem to to remain in exile we're causing Hashem to suffer this is like prolonging Messiah being on the stake at least he had to come down before sundown but imagine if the sun never went down what if the sun stood still and Mashiach is just allowed to hang there on and on and on and on that's literally the meaning of us not asking for Mashiach now, not hastening his arrival, not being springs of living water. So, yeah, we got to get out of exile and we got to start doing the things that we're supposed to be doing and rising up to leadership of the world and leading the world in holiness, righteousness and purity. And I want to shout out uh, our our Avenger, uh, Zakin Ishmael Kama, which is Zakin Rayford Shlita, that he said, you know, yeah, we're we're getting close to the final redemption, and you know, the final redemption is like welcoming in the Shabbat, and you know, we're really close, and we say, oh yeah, we're a few hours before candle lighting, as far as the the grand scheme of time. He said, yeah, well, we haven't lit candles yet. That's why the Shabbat hasn't came. Because, you know, you can light candles early for Shabbat. There's a certain window of time. And by the way, overall, cosmically, uh, we're in that window of where we could literally start lighting the Shabbat candles. Which is why, again, this message is being brought to you. And I'm like, did you just? He's like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, man, that's ridiculous. Because what does it mean to light the Shabbat candles? What does kindling the lights metaphorically speak of? What is it symbolic of? None other than converts. That's right. Making converts. Which is the whole reason that we're sent into exile is to make converts. So we're not making converts. We're telling Hashem, exile is totally fine. We're good. You can suffer. We're suffering, but we really don't care. And, you know, who needs a, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Who needs that? Who needs Israel to be the actual uh, land boundaries that it's supposed to be? And who needs the uh, the 400 parsa by 400 parsa? Who needs that? Who needs Israel to be actually lined out and divided up by tribes with everyone in those tribes occupying the land with the temple in it? Who needs Israel to be like that? COVID-19 is fine. Swarm of hornets is fine. Uh, continual robbing, killing, uh, rape, murder, all that's fine. Evil speech, fine. That's good. And here we are in Parsha Tazria Medzora, and it's like, these kind of things are the the root of isolation, of destruction, of just evil. So there's that. And we need to stop doing that. And we need to go ahead and, and bring some redemption into the world. And, you know, the last thing I want to get into is where were we when we were in the garden? 
Because if you go back to Tatsriya and Midrash Rabbah Vayikra uh, 14.1, it says this. Rabbi Berekia and Rabbi Helbo and Rabbi Shamuel Bar Nachman said at the time that Hakadosh Baruch Hu originally created Adam, the first man, he created him as extending from one end of the world to the other throughout the entire expanse of the world. His body was as his body was large enough to encompass the entire world from east to west and from north to south and from the earth up to the firmament. Adam was at this time in Gan Eden, which is much larger than our world. Pesachim 94a. After he sinned and was expelled from Gan Eden, he was reduced to normal human dimensions. It goes on to say in the insights, Adam giant of a man so you know the ant-man character he can shrink himself but he can also become giant man well that's because that's how we used to be as humans or shall we say divine humans because before the fruit before we told Hashem no thank you you're not my God I am God I know I look like you and I can act like you uh, so why don't I just be you and it's like that sounds like the serpent and that sounds like you're too big for your britches so let's uh, shrink you down to size and kick you out of the garden. So that's how we got to where we are today, right? So check this insight out. It says many authorities suggest that these descriptions of Adam's size are not meant to be understood literally. In the introduction to his work on Jewish philosophy, the Magen Avot writes that the sages mean that Adam comprehended the nature and the workings of the entire material universe from one end to the other and up to the highest reaches of the physical heavens. In a somewhat similar vein, Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler explains that the connotation of the measurements given here is that Adam was a microcosm of all creation. So, I'm going to go ahead and finish this. Thus, all the elements of heaven and earth say all the elements of heaven and earth. Yes, that's right. All the elements of heaven and earth, everything that existed from the beginning of world history and everything that will exist to its very end were contained within his person. Now, that's true of Adam. How much more so is it true of the second Adam, Mashiach Yeshua? And we're supposed to be a part of him. So we're supposed to be worlds within worlds and comprehensions within comprehensions. That's why some of us know certain things and we're super good at that information and like oh we can go to town like for example gematrias there are some people who can just light it up with gematrias other people like i don't even know what you're talking about other people can kill it on holocaust and you're just like 
uh, yeah, I'm I'm confused because you just said so and so said, and the other person said, and da 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 da. Some person, some people can just kill it in prayer. You're just like, how do you pray like that? You know, but it's because we're all supposed to be this parts, sum of a parts to a whole, which makes up the the second Adam, which is Mashiach, who, by the way, is the primordial Adam that Adam was fashioned after. Adam was the earthly physical manifestation, if you will, of the spiritual Adam of Mashiach. But that spiritual manifestation had to come down. And now we have to come into him in order to bring everything back to renewal and take us back to the garden. And that's the purpose. And the way that we can do that primarily is with how we speak. So may Hashem bring tikkun Lashon to all the entire world. And may we find it within ourselves to initiate the Messianic era and bring about the coming of Mashiach now. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu Torah emet. Vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai. Noten ha Torah.